Welcome back to our series on questions and answers. In our last session, we talked about how we should interpret the Bible. And in this session, we are going to talk about why we need church history. Now, those two things may not sound related at first, but uh, as I hope you'll see, they are in fact related. Now, when I talk about church history and the importance of church history, for some of you, your eyes might start to glaze over and you might start to think, okay, this is, this is gonna be boring, I'm not interested in this. For others of you, you might think, why would we spend time talking about church history when we could be talking about the Bible? The Bible is more important than church history, so why use time when we could be talking about scripture to talk about what has happened since the time of the Bible, what has happened in the history of the church since the time of the apostles? Well, uh, let me try to address both of those questions. Briefly, uh, let me address the concern about boredom, right? Is church history boring? Is it really uninteresting? Is it dry and dull? Well, of course, it can be presented in that way, but church history itself is not boring. Think about this. Is the book of Acts boring? Because the book of Acts is church history. It's inspired biblical church history, but it's the record, right? It's the story of what God was doing in the early days of the church through the apostles, how Jesus was at work, how the Spirit was at work in the days of the early church. Do we think that church history all of a sudden got boring after Paul brought the gospel to Rome? No, it didn't get boring after that, right? After that, you still have people preaching the gospel. You have people suffering for their faith. You, you have people uh, taking the gospel to new places, right? Is it boring to read about how people were converted, how people were brought to Christ? Is it boring to hear about how people were willing to suffer and even become martyrs, giving their lives? because they trusted in Christ? Is it boring to read about a monk who stood up to the Pope and won? None of those things are boring. Church history is full of fascinating, interesting stories. But that's not my main point right now. My main point right now is to say this, that church history is important. It's not as important as Scripture, of course, but it is important. And Scripture itself points us to the importance of church history. So that's gonna be our focus. How does scripture point us toward the importance of church history? Well, the first thing that we wanna notice is that many of the books of the Bible are historical books. They are telling us about things that really happened to real people in real times and places in the past. When we look at the Old Testament, right, Genesis, Exodus, those are historical books. Judges, Joshua, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. These are historical books. They are telling us stories about what really happened in the past. Now, of course, these are inspired historical books. God is telling us what happened and, and explaining it often for us, telling us its significance and, and so on and so on. We don't get all of that all the time with church history. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But these are historical books. In the New Testament as well, the Gospels are telling us the history of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, telling us about his ministry, telling us about uh, how and when he died and, and how he rose from the dead, dead and who, were, who witnessed 
uh, his, uh, him after his resurrection, and so on. So uh, the Bible gives a lot of room, a lot of space, in other words, towards history. The Bible doesn't just communicate uh, truths about who God is and how we should live. It does a lot of that too. But it also tells us things that happened. It gives us details, right, about specific historical events, and that is significant. So the Bible itself tells us a lot of history, right? A lot of Scripture is history. And second, Scripture teaches us to learn from history. I have two main passages in mind here, and one of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to read a portion of that here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, he's talking about the events around the Exodus there, right? He's talking about the crossing of the Red Sea, God feeding his people in the wilderness and so on. He says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That story uh, is told in the book of Numbers, mainly, right? He says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, these historical events from uh, the Old Testament books and talking about the history of Israel, these things happen for us to learn from. And he says, uh, do not, it says, um, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And then he says this, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So my basic point here, right, is just this, that Paul holds up historical events from earlier in the Bible and says we are meant to learn from these. Right? We are meant to be warned by these. We are meant to be instructed by these events. Now I recognize that that's different than reading something from church history that's not in the Bible. We'll talk about that difference in a moment. But for now, I just want us to acknowledge that the Bible points us back to historical events and says we need to learn from that. All right, the second passage that I want to draw your attention to is Hebrews chapter 11. We know this chapter as the great hall of fame or the faith hall of fame. And uh, that's how we normally think of it, right? But uh, probably several years ago, maybe many years ago now, um, my attention was drawn to this passage as one of the reasons why we should pay attention to church history. John Piper talked about this, and uh, he has an article you can read about this. But I, but I want to just point out uh, something that he said. He, he's, um, he's written numerous, uh, John Piper has numerous brief biographies of different historical figures uh, about uh, no, notable Christians, right? And I found these incredibly helpful. They're, they're published in his uh, Swans Are Not Silent series. Uh, you can probably also read them uh, online. But anyway, he, he makes a case for the importance of church history. And specifically, he's talking about biographies. So reading the stories of people from the history of the church. 
And here's what he says about why this is important and how he connects it to Hebrews 11. He says, Hebrews 11 is a divine mandate to read Christian biography. The unmistakable implication of the chapter is that if we hear about the faith of our forefathers and mothers, we will, quote, lay aside every weight and sin and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. He's quoting Hebrews 12.1 there. If we ask the author, that is the author of Hebrews, how shall we stir one another up to love and good works, which is something he talks about in Hebrews 10.24, his answer would be, Piper says, through encouragement from the living, based on Hebrews 10.25, and the dead, based on Hebrews chapter 11. He says, Christian biography is the means by which body life, that is the body of Christ, the life of the body, cuts across the generations. In other words, that this is how church history is part of how we benefit from believers from other generations by learning about their lives and, and what happened to them and so on. So what he's doing there, he's drawing from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, which says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when we meet together, Piper's saying, we are supposed to stir one another up to love and good works. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying in 10, 24, and 25. And then Piper says, but I think he would also say, based on Hebrews chapter 11, where you read about Abel and Abraham and Moses and on and on and on, that the author of Hebrews would also say those Figures from the past, those believers who've gone before us, they can also stir us up to love and good works if we will consider their lives. That's part of what Hebrews chapter 11 is there for. And so then Piper points to this passage in, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, drawing the conclusion from all those stories of faith from those figures in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, therefore, this is Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people who have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is, that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and so on. So these witnesses that have gone before us, they encourage us, they inspire us to follow their example of faith, to cast off the encumbrances of sin, to focus on Jesus and, and look to Him. That's part of what church history is for. Now, the objection that someone might raise here, right, is, okay, well, but all that history you're talking about is history that's told to us in the Bible. Isn't that different from the church history we read outside of the Bible. Well, of course it is, right? Because we know, again, that the history that's recorded in the Bible is true, because the Bible is true. So let's think about, though, what, what the difference is between the history we encounter in the Bible and the history we encounter outside the Bible when we're, when we're reading or hearing church history. Right? What makes it different? In biblical history, whether we're talking about Genesis or the Gospels, in biblical history, God is at work, and He is at work through His people and for His people, and He identifies where He's at work. He tells us, this is something I'm doing, and He interprets or explains for us what He is doing and why. Now, we may not have all four of those all the time, right? We may not always get all the explanations. May not always know what God is up to, but often not only is God at work 
in and for his people, but he also tells us clearly where he's at work and explains what he's doing and even why. When we read church history outside of the Bible, what we are not getting is the explanation from God about what he's doing and why, and the certainty that God is indeed at, at work in this situation, that God is behind us. Now, God's always at work, but that God's behind what's happening, right? That he, he's uh, bringing it about because it's good, right? Because it's the right decision and the right way for things to go. We don't always have that clarity when we're reading church history, but God is still at work, because we know he's present in his church and his people by his spirit. God is at work in and through his people throughout the history of the church. Right? We know that God never leaves or forsakes his people. We know God's always at work for the good of his people. But what we don't have is the clarity about you know, when there's, when there's a, a, a conflict or a disagreement or a divergence. Something goes this way instead of that way. We don't always know, is that the way it should have happened? Is that the way God... Uh, would have told was that the direction God would have told us to go um, if we could you know hear His voice audibly or something we don't always know right so we don't lack that we don't have that same clarity but God is still at work and so it is still good for us to pay attention to what God is doing in the world what God is doing in and through His people even if we don't have the same biblical clarity and explanation that we know is perfectly true and trustworthy that we find in scripture. We don't have that, of course, with church history, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention to it, right? It means it's less important than the Bible, but it is still important. We can still learn from it. We should still learn from it and be encouraged by it, right? Um, and then the last thing I want to say about this um, is that God did not stop working in history through and for his people at the end of the Bible. He only stopped interpreting his work for us, right? As we were just saying. So when we study church history, we're still seeing how God was at work. God was at work in the life of Martin Luther. God was at work in the life of St. Augustine. God was at work in uh, Jerome and uh, Ignatius. And God was at work in all these people, right? But we don't always know. Here's where the difference is, right? If Moses did something that we kind of look at and go, should Moses have done that? Often in the Bible, we're told, no, Moses should not have done that. Moses sinned. Or yes, Moses should have done that. That's what God wanted him to do. But if we're looking at the life of, you know, St. Augustine or Luther or John Bunyan or something like that, and we think, ah, should they have said that? Should they have done that? We don't know. We don't have the, the biblical inspired, uh, you know, clear uh, declaration what they did was wrong or what they did was right. This is the way God wanted them to go or it wasn't the way God wanted them to, to go. We have to sort some of those things out for ourselves. So it's not as clear. We don't have as many explanations, but the benefit is still there. We still learn from their example. We can still be warned by their errors and mistakes, and we can still be encouraged and inspired by their example of faith. So I, I hope to commend to you the practice of learning from, listening from the history of the church, from the lives of believers who have come before us. God bless.